Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can always learn more about the vision or get financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Y'all ready for Christmas? No, you're not. You're not. Some of y'all stuck in Thanksgiving. Who's ready for Christmas? It's a weird time of year for uh, preachers because it's the same material every year. Like this is one of those, I don't, I don't have to go digging for a story to talk about at Christmas, you know? It's the same story every year. Uh, it's the announcement of Jesus' birth. And uh, what I want to do this year and um, this particular series is make a concerted effort for us to keep Christmas in the proper context. Uh, I think sometimes if we, we pull Christmas out of the context of which it was designed, it completely loses its power and the whole purpose of why it's in the story. Uh, and before I jump into the message, I want to give a special thank you to you as a church. You heard the story earlier um, about one of the organizations that we get to support. Um, that the, the couple that was on the video earlier, um, they... Uh, essentially operate a hotel here in the Charleston area, and what God's put into their hands, they're stewarding for his glory. And we heard a message last week about whatever God's put into your hands, he wants to use. Whatever's in your hands, if you'll just allow God to use it, uh, he'll be glorified through it. And what I love about that story is um, with this hotel, they're giving rooms to people who desperately need it. And uh, it's just a beautiful picture of generosity. And your generosity as a church allows us to help support organizations such as that. And uh, I just want to say thank you because I know many of you don't get to be necessarily on the front lines, having those conversations, seeing those stories, but God's doing a tremendous work through your generosity. And uh, I just want to say thank you for that because he's literally changing lives. And uh, whether you've met Dante or not, Dante will be uh, serving and worshiping here at this church. Um, And I just was humbled, honestly, listening to the video, the thought the thought that someone who's homeless downtown would come here and serve us. And man, when we talk about, when we talk about Jesus and a king coming to a cradle and the story of Christmas, the Bible says that those who humble themselves, God exalts. And uh, it's just a beautiful picture. That's a picture of the gospel right in our midst. So uh, thank you guys for making stories like that possible. Christmas is... If you have a Bible, it starts typically, um, the story of Christmas is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a chapter in each one of the Gospels, typically, that discusses Jesus' birth. There's four chapters in this book of, I think there's like 1,100, 1,200 chapters in the Bible, 66 books, and four of them talk about Christmas. However, when we look at the calendar for the year, There's almost a month every year of the church calendar that devotes itself to Christmas. There's a huge emphasis on Christmas. And oftentimes, the build-up to the holiday is lacking, right? Like, if you're like my house at all in terms of decorating for Christmas, you can just kind of be going through the motions of life, and one day, you know, kids come home from school, and it's just like a Christmas bomb goes off at the Bowers house. Boom, right? The tree and decorations and wreaths. And, or you came to church today and you're like, hey, there's Christmas. Here we are, you know? It just comes out of nowhere. And, and because of that, oftentimes, the story 
of Christmas just kind of stands in isolation. And we forget that there were thousands of years of buildup to the actual uh, coming and birth of Jesus. And we miss, why did he even have to be born? Why did God send Jesus at all? Why did, why even leave heaven and come to earth? What's the point of Jesus being born? And if we don't know the backstory, if we don't understand in scripture what led to Jesus being born, then we miss the whole point of it altogether. And we lose the power of the gospel. And so what I want to do is preach a Christmas sermon from Genesis. Y'all tracking? If you got one of those New Testament Bibles, we hand them out um, at the guest services station. I'm not saying it's irrelevant today, but it kind of is. I don't know why we left out the Old Testament. It's very important, okay? Uh, So Genesis chapter one, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter one. Now, I have some pet peeves that I want to share with you, okay? Uh, I'm, I can be very particular. There's some things that just bother me, and a lot of them center around Christmas. I'm more of a Thanksgiving guy. doesn't mean I don't love Jesus. I'm just really grateful, okay? Uh, and at Christmas time, there's some, some pet peeves that bother me. For instance, when I look at these trees, I love them because all the, the lights are, are white. Pet peeve of mine is colored Christmas lights. It looks tacky to me. It looks trashy to me. Uh, I'm, I'm here to offend some people this morning. If you got them on your house, that's okay. That's okay. And y'all are like, why do you care? You're colorblind anyway. I, and, and, I, and I get that, right? So for me, it just looks like they don't match. That's why maybe one of the reasons I want Another pet peeve is the person that when they give a gift, they, they take the box as if it's not meant to be open. Y'all know people like that? Or Christmas morning, you got to have a knife. If you don't have a knife, you're not prepared. Uh, you end up tearing the box all apart. Uh, another Christmas pet peeve for me is the inflatables families that put them in the yard. You know, the big snowman during the day, it's flat. I think that's what bothers me. I drive through my neighborhood during the day and I'm like, man, snowman died. Like he's just <laughs> deflated, you know, pet peeves at, at, at Christmas. One of them, and it's not, it's not really Christmas, but it is a, a pet peeve of mine is when I'm watching a movie and I have four kids, obviously I'm married as well. When I'm watching a movie and and someone comes in when the movie's already been playing for 15, 20 minutes. You know, they're a little late. Hey, we're going to cut it on at 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And they come in at 9.15, you know. So who, what, what, who's, you got to hit pause, that gummit. You know, let's, who's that? What's going on? And you try to try to catch them up on 17 minutes of the movie, right? Because they weren't there on time. Or like for Ashley, we watch Netflix shows at night. And uh, every now and then she'll doze off and, and then, and then come back. It's like a Lazarus. She'll just come back awake. And, and I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm watching the show. I'm not watching her. So I don't really know that she dozed off. But then it's kind of like, you know, I hear something, I'm breathing, and I look over, and she's like, what, so what happened, you know? And I got to catch her up to the plot. I got to fill her in on what's, what's going on. Here's the deal. I, I'm convinced that when it comes to Christmas and the church, not just Awaken, but Christians in church, there's some people that would just go to church on Christmas and Easter. I call them creasters, okay? They, they'll come at Christmas, they'll come at Easter, they may give you two weeks at Christmas, kind of the build-up, or like the Sunday before and like a Christmas Eve. Uh, and, and I think what happens sometimes is people just get a snapshot of Christmas and, and don't really understand the story. It's like walking into the middle of a movie and you don't, you don't really understand the plot. You don't know who's, who's what, who's the villain, why are we doing this? And, and so what ends up happening is our view of Jesus is really this cute little baby 
that God sent to us is like a present. And we treat him that way. Like he's, he's a gift to us. And we just kind of hold him and, oh, that's cute and that's precious. And, and then we just start the new year and roll on with life. And we don't even understand the point of why Jesus came. So I'm going to try over the next three weeks, starting today, to put some pieces together for us. And you may go, well, preacher, I already got it. I already understand. Hey, that's great. This will be a refresher. But I'm convinced that this will be news for some people listening, both in the room and online. Got your Bibles? Go to Genesis chapter 1. It's the easiest book to find. Just open it. <laughs> it gets harder from here, by the way. But if uh, Genesis is the easiest book to find, it's the story of creation. If we were watching a movie, this is the very beginning. This is where God starts. And so the opening scene, again, you already know this, but it's literally in the beginning, which by the way, John chapter 1, the gospel of John, starts in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God, right? Like, I love that John starts in the beginning because the Bible starts in the beginning and the scene opens up in Genesis one. God just speaks everything into existence and it's amazing. Like God says, let there be light. Boom, there's light, right? God says, uh, let's create the, the sky and the stars and the moon and the sun and boom, there it all is. And he says, let's separate the water from the land and here's the animals and all the vegetation and God just speaks and all this happened. If you're watching a movie, it would just be this action-packed opener, right? And you're just like, whoa. And then he culminates his creation with, with Adam and with Eve. And what we find in Genesis 2 is this perfect setting where we have this beautiful couple, no sin, right? And to define sin, sin is essentially anything that separates us from God. There's no sin. There's perfect unity, perfect relationship, perfect peace. And God, we're told in Genesis 2, is with Adam and Eve in the garden. God's presence is with his people. You know the Christmas song? The Emmanuel, God with us. I should get Kevin to sing it. I should take your point, Kevin. By the way, I told the early service, when, when Kevin gets up here and starts sweating, when you see his forehead get glossy, it's going to be a good Sunday, Right? We gave him a little head start this morning with the, the pre-service music. If you were in here, if you weren't, you need to get here earlier next Sunday. But Emmanuel that we sing about at Christmas, what is that? Why is there this longing for God's presence to be with us? Because we're looking back to a time when it existed. God's perfect presence, Emmanuel, is in the garden. He's with Adam and Eve and everything is great. There's perfect peace in those relationships. And, and I was thinking, you know, the, the reason that Christmas sometimes or holidays cause tension or frustration for some families is because some relationships just aren't, aren't peaceful. If you have some semblance of dysfunction in your family, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just so we all know that we're not crazy. Okay. Um, so one, two, three, go ahead and lift your hands. Let me all just, some of y'all just threw it on up, right? There's a lot of hands that go up. I believe, I believe holidays like Christmas are a magnifier. What that means is whatever dysfunction exists, it just gets bigger at Christmas and you have to deal with it, right? So many of those relationships have tension and dysfunction and frustration. Why? Because there's not peace and unity that's found in the person of Jesus. God created us to be in perfect relationship with him and perfect relationship with each other. And that's the scene that we have in the garden. That's the scene that we have in Genesis chapter two. And then everything 
messes up, right? So here's the plot twist. If you're watching a movie, everything's good. They're hanging out like Adam and Eve are great and their relationship with God. And then in Genesis chapter three, we know the story, the serpent, the snake, Satan shows up in the form of a snake and he uh, deceives Eve. And I'm gonna read it in its entirety because I think it's important. God, when he created Adam and Eve, told him, look, you can eat of anything in this garden that you want, eat any of the fruit that you want, but do not, do not eat of the fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. If you do, you'll die. So it's the one command. It's the one rule. If you, if you have kids, you understand this. You give them one rule, they're gonna break it. <laughs> and God gives them one command. You can have anything, do anything that you want, but don't eat the fruit off of that tree. And in Genesis chapter three, this is what we find, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall now eat of the, any of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. By the way, Eve added to God's word right there. God didn't say they couldn't touch it. He just said, don't eat of the fruit. If you wanna know where sin starts in our lives, it's when we distort God's word. It's when we take truth a little bit of it, and then add what we want to it. That's why here at this church, we don't add and take away from God's word. It is what it is. And our, and our job is just to deliver it. And that's not in an angry way or a forceful way. That's in an honest way. And so Eve goes, uh, well, God, God didn't, he, he didn't, he just said, don't, you know, don't eat of it, don't touch of it. And then the serpent, Satan says back to Eve, look, you, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In verse six, and this is where it all just goes downhill. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. So Eve looks at the tree and says, "Um, I want what it can do for me. In other words, what God had given her when it was not enough, she and Adam both said, no, that's what I have is not enough. I want more and my more is I actually wanna be like God. And I think that's a complex that, that all of us wrestle with at some point in our lives, where what God has given us is not enough to satisfy us, and so we chase after other things. Eve says, uh, it says, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, youth, you're not gonna go buy loincloths at H&M, but basically what that is is clothes. They made some clothes. They stitched some clothes together for themselves made out of fig leaves. And one of the most tragic verses in all the Bible is verse eight. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Check the plot out on this. You got a perfect relationship between Adam and Eve and God. And then Satan comes up and asks a question which, by the way, we all have to deal with questions from the enemy. We all have to deal with questions from Satan. They're whispers in our mind. They're questioning, does God know what's best for me? Is there a purpose in my pain? Like, is, is, am, and, am I enough? Am I valuable? Am I loved? Right? These are, these are things that we, that we wrestle with, and they're, 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 they're questions, really, that Satan puts in our minds, and we have to respond in some way. And the way that we typically respond is with our own ideas or with advice from other people and not really truth from God's word. 
And the way that Eve responds is she uses what God says or what she thought he said, and then she adds her own twist to it. And that led to her doing the one thing God said not to do, her and Adam, both doing what God said not to do. And when they do, we see they, they are now in a place where they're separated from God because of their disobedience, and they start to scramble. They're made aware of their nakedness. They feel ashamed. They feel guilty. And so what they do is they go, we got to fix this problem. And their idea was to grab some fig leaves, make some clothes, and hide behind some trees. Now, we listen to that story, and we're like, that's stupid. I'll say it. Can't hide from God. Right? Like, what were they thinking? And I would just submit to you today that while, while, while we don't make fig leaves anymore, like the fig leaf outfits that we put on are things called like career and success. If I just get the degree and I work hard enough and I make enough money and I get enough power, then I'll be good. And I'll satisfy this breaking that's in my soul. Or if I just get that relationship, man, if I can get her to stay with me or him to stay with me, it doesn't matter if it means me having to sleep with that person and, and disobey God. If I can just get the relationship, then I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be satisfied. Or if I can take that substance or use that drug or drink that drink or whatever self-medicate, this is how I'm going to fix my problem. That's what fig leaves look like today. We don't want, we don't want to call it that. Fig leaves still look the same way, and we think somehow we can do this and just run and hide from God like God's unaware and doesn't know what's going on. See, what's crazy is God told them that if they ate the fruit, they would die. They didn't die. Is God a liar? No, the, the death that he is talking about is not a physical death. It's a spiritual death. And if anybody in here understands this, if, if you can remember what it was like before you actually had a relationship with God, that, that erosion of your soul, that distance, that disconnect, that, that tearing on the inside of realizing, hey, I don't know what my value, worth, purpose is, that's a spiritual death that we all experience because of our sin. And Adam and Eve, they're not physically dead, but spiritually they're separated from God because that's what sin does to us. And they're hiding behind some trees and they got these big clothes on and and I think the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful sentences in all of Scripture is found right here in verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? But God, is there anybody under the sound of my voice today that is thankful we serve a but God? I mean, think, think about what he has done for us. I mean, you and I don't deserve, first of all, we don't deserve salvation. We're not entitled to a relationship with God. You understand that, right? Because of our sin, we actually deserve hell. We deserve separation from God. But God, being rich in mercy, sent Jesus as a way for us to be in relationship with him. Amen. Like, none of us are in existence if it weren't for God. But God, they're hiding, they're ashamed, they're guilty, but God pursued them not to punish him, but because he loved him. He looks at Adam and says, hey, where are you? Now listen, he already knew. He asked the question to see if he'd get a response. This is where Will comes in, okay? Listen, God loves us. And when we look at Christmas, Christmas is an initiative by God, a sending of Jesus for you. But it demands a response from every single one of us too. 
right? Yeah, God's pursuing us. He knows where we are. He knows everything about us. But are we going to respond back to him? That's why in our services, we'll ask, hey, do you want to begin a relationship with God? Do you want to trust Jesus? That's your response back to him. For the, for the relationship to be mended, it demands a response. And no response is a response. I want us to understand that if Adam and Eve don't answer here, if Adam doesn't answer, if Adam doesn't respond, we don't know what happens. But I know that God pursues him in this story. And he says, Adam, where are you? And then Adam starts to explain what happened. God's going, why are you wearing that? Why are you covered up? Adam's like, well, look what happened. That woman you gave me, she messed things up. Like that's, He's actually blaming God, if you think about it. Like, why, why'd you do, why her, you know? It's what husbands still do today. <laughs> um, but, but Adam responds essentially and doesn't want to take ownership over his own sin. But God says, you know, um, he's pursuing him because he loves him. He's not trying to punish him. And what I love about this story that we see here is that God doesn't come at Adam and Eve first in terms of his rebuke. He actually goes after Satan first. And I want to read what he said to Satan because this is the birth announcement of Jesus. Some of you are like, wait a minute. Yep, God, thousands of years before Jesus, actually issued a birth announcement saying that Jesus was coming. That's where it ties into Christmas. The story of Christmas is found right here in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. And I want to read it for us because if we don't understand this, then we'll miss the whole point of Jesus coming all together. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent. So he's talking to Satan. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all feasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Let me go ahead and address the obvious real quick. First of all, y'all are like, man, Satan was a snake. And did a snake walk before this? Because God just cursed him to his belly to slither around. Y'all, I don't know, okay? Sometimes when we read the Bible, I come across things, and I'm like, I don't really know how to explain that. And then I step back and I go, oh, but you know how to explain the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? (laughs) Here's the deal. What we believe as Christians is some crazy stuff. I just just choose to believe that the same God who in Genesis 1 spoke it all into existence, he can do what he wants with snakes. He can do what he wants with Jesus. He can make donkeys talk, which is in scripture. God can do whatever he wants. So if you've somehow just kind of pranced into Christianity thinking, oh, it's all going to logically make sense, this ain't for you. Because it it just doesn't. You You got to have faith. God says, look, From this day forward, Satan, snake, you are going to be on your belly and you will go and the dust you will eat all the days of your life. Now, here comes the birth announcement. and I don't want you to miss this. He says, I will put enmity. That word enmity means hatred. I will put hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heels. Y'all catch it? It's not the birth announcement that you see on Instagram of your best friends. It's not the cute little picture, right, of the ultrasound. It's definitely not the birth announcement where you shoot a cannon going blue or pink. That's not what God's doing here. But I want us to understand what this means because if we miss this, we miss the point of Jesus and the manger. God says, I will put hatred between you, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. Another word for offspring is seed. If you have a, a NIV, it probably says seed. What is God saying here? That the, the offspring of Satan and the offspring 
of Eve. And, and don't miss this. We sing at Christmas about the virgin birth. Notice that God doesn't say between their offspring. It, he's not talking about the offspring of Adam and Eve because when we look at Jesus, what we know with the virgin birth is that she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph had no part in that. So God says, look, this is the seed of Eve. This is the seed of Mary. There's gonna be a child born to a virgin that I'm gonna bring into conception and he will be the one that bruises the head of you. Now, what, what does that mean? God tells, this, God tells Satan, look, um, that you're gonna bruise his heel, but he's gonna bruise your head. NIV says that you're gonna bruise his heel, but he's gonna crush your head. Gotta understand what it means. Now listen, I, I hate snakes. Fun fact, used to own a snake. Never handled one on a stage. My wife gave it to me, it was weird. Little milk snake, call it Chucky. A couple weeks ago, we had a copperhead in our garage. You don't, you don't play with a copperhead, by the way. You kill a copperhead. And so I grab the shovel and, you know, and I feel like when I do that, it's biblical. Just doing my part. If, if I were to walk out sli- outside in my, in my slides into the garage and, and barefoot see this snake slivering on the ground, if I tried to like step on it and kill it, two things are going to happen. One, I'm probably going to get bit in the process, right? When you got a venomous snake and it sees you and it's coming after you and you try to step on it, it's, you're, you're prob- something's going to happen in the process that's going to cause some damage. But I can promise you this too. If I step on its head... I'm gonna kill that snake. But it doesn't mean I'm gonna walk away unscathed. What God is saying to Satan right here is this. Her offspring, the child that's gonna come, that we now know is Jesus, like Satan, you're gonna, you're gonna damage him and you're gonna bruise him. He's gonna take some wounds. By the way, the book of Isaiah says that uh, by his wounds we uh, were healed. By his stripes we were healed. The prophecy that Jesus would go to the cross and on the way he would be beaten and bruised and beat up. Why? For our sin, he would bear our sin penalty. Jesus most definitely was bruised on the way to the cross. But on the cross, what he did on the cross was he crushed the head of Satan and he defeated sin and death once and for all. That's the prophecy in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. Because I know this, if, if I were to go to fight with you, right? And you beat me up on my heels and you bruise me up, I'm gonna be okay, I'm gonna keep going. But if I crush your head, you're done. Jesus, y'all, he was bruised and he died on the cross. He was placed in a tomb, but he rose on the third day. See, when we look at Christmas, we can't just look at the Christmas story as this cute little baby in a manger that God gave to us just to kind of rock a No, 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 it's, it's not the start of the story Jesus coming is a response. God saying, I'm not done with my people yet. And the only way to bring them back into relationship with me is to send someone who is perfect to die on the cross for their sins, to pay that debt penalty that they can't so that I can be in relationship with my people. That's what he announces right here in Genesis 3.15. And thousands of years later, what we find in the New Testament, that baby Jesus came on that silent night and yes, Jesus grew up and he went to the cross. But don't think for a moment that that happened in isolation. It had to happen because of this. When you think about Christmas, here's what I want you to think about. It doesn't matter what, what sin you committed or what led you to put your fig leaves on and get behind the tree. 
It doesn't matter where you've been and what you've done or even what you're doing right now. It doesn't matter if you once were close and you strayed away or maybe you've never even been in relationship. What Christmas says to us and the reason we sing the songs that it's good news to all people is that wherever you find yourself, the same way Adam and Eve found themselves separated from God, God's come for you. It's the message of Christmas. Trust him today. Love him today. Give your life to him today because he is worthy. I went back, tried to think of the first Christmas that I was a Christian. I was 21 years old. It was the year 2000. And I'm convinced that year, Christmas felt different to me. Like when you actually... When you, when you acknowledge Jesus as king and you understand the full story of creation and then fall and then redemption or rescue that comes through Jesus, it changes things. It changes things. It's no longer just about a holiday to hang out with people and get a bunch of presents and give stuff away and take glory in the gift. You, you understand? No, no, this is about God's generosity come to me. This is about God saying, I love you, I'm for you, I'm pursuing you. I didn't come to punish you or judge you. I came to forgive you and rescue you, amen? Man, if you don't know that Jesus today, give your life to him today. Trust him today. All you have to do is cry out to God, God, I I want a relationship with you and I know I've been separated from you. But today I believe in the story. I believe in Christmas and I believe in Jesus and I give my life to him today. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes all across the room if you're at home. If you're here today and you would say, I need a relationship with God. Something happened. I've been apart. I've been distant. I've been trying to make my own fig leaves and finding my identity and my worth and my value in the things of this world. But today, I want to come into relationship with God and I want to trust Jesus If that's you and you're sitting in the room today, nobody looking around, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Amen. I see you. Keep your hand up. I see you. Praise God. And at home, you can lift your hands. You can put those on the the thread. We want to pray for you. God, right now, there are people surrendering their lives to you and saying they need a relationship with you. And God, the beauty of Christmas is that you made it possible through Jesus. So God, this time of year, I pray for this church that we wouldn't miss that moment. I pray for these with their hands raised that they would understand it's a new beginning. It's a new start. It's a new chapter. It's a new testament in their life, God. And they would understand you're not done with them yet. So Father, this morning, thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the story that we get to be a part of. And remind us, God, that because of you, everything is gonna be all right. Amen? We love you. We praise you and all God's people said, amen.